Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. What is that? That's the second time it's gone off. Never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. That's... Yeah. They have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I want to walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist. But having said that, I want to be like me. You don't know what you're talking about. What did you know? I'd like to stay alive for six days. I'd say it to your face, I'll say it to you now. I will go to Wangfield and we'll see them all. What you doing down here, you surely man. It's the Irish Times Second Captain's Football Podcast with all my David and Kieran Murphy here. Hello there, Owen. Hi, Kieran. Ken is away this week. That's the bad news to kick things off with, but it's just as well because I know it would hurt Ken badly to have to sit here today and absorb the news that his favourite ever movie, United Passions, has become the lowest grossing film in the history of American cinema. You can't go one day in the office without Ken banging on about Tim Roth's stunning portrait of Seth Blatter or, you know, when he talks about how Gerard Depardieu really nailed the nuances of Jules Rimet's complex character. Well, yeah. apparently, Murph. The Americans, they just don't get football. They don't. Well, they don't. You know, we thought that maybe United Passions might be the leading edge <laughs> that makes the United States finally fall in love with uh, the beautiful game. But unfortunately, the Hollywood Reporter has now confirmed that... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> These are not pretty numbers. That United Passions uh, took in $918. Uh-huh. $918 uh, from 10 cinemas. Uh and has been pulled from from distribution as a result. Uh, it uh, lines up ahead of such titans of modern cinema, the Guardian reports today, as 2012 vampire rock musical I Kissed a Vampire, mm-hmm. uh, $1,380, and 2013 animated adventure Last Flight of the Champion, which took in, which grossed the sum total of $1,493. So, um, I mean, I have to say I'm a little surprised by this, because... Underneath, you know, your big summer blockbuster movies, there are movies for which there's nothing going for them. It's not that they're, you know, the historically bad ones get seen by people. You know, that you're, you're water worlds of this world. Well, water world, exactly. Or there's, um, oh, there's any, you know, Michael Winner's movies. You know, like they're just, they're so bad, they're kind of entertaining. You know, the Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. <laughs> You know, George Clooney. You know, there, there are movies that are so bad they're good. And then there are movies that are just bad. And then there's movies like, say, you know, I haven't seen United Passions. But I mean, if you told me now United Passions is on at 10 o'clock tonight. Yeah, I'd definitely watch it. 
I'd watch it. Like I'd probably watch it. You yeah. know, and I th- I'm surprised if there aren't more people, you know, hate watching this. It's an important historical document at this point. Well, it is that the uh, Guardian uh, reviewer did call it cinematic excrement. <laughs> before adding as a proof of corporate insanity it is a valuable case study which I think is actually probably uh, probably fair enough now uh, I, I don't want to be running it all down because apparently in Russia it's uh, grossed 158,000 US dollars now I don't know how much money uh, Vladimir Putin how many cinema tickets Vladimir Putin <laughs> was willing to buy uh, so that uh, the 2018 World Cup hosts wouldn't you know do their maiden service here um, but uh, not picked up for distribution in the UK, Germany and Brazil. Went straight to DVD uh, in France. Gerard Depardieu, of course, is one of the stars of the movie. And, a movie, and, a, and apparently he, uh, the, the Cannes president, the uh, Cannes Film Festival president, said that it was only screened at Cannes because Gerard Depardieu said that I would never come to Cannes ever again if you didn't show this FIFA movie that I that I started in. And so. this is where I've lost all respect for Gerard Depardieu, Murph. Mm. All the respect that he's... He's built up. Urinating on flights, not a problem. Not a problem. It happens, right? But green card, s- not an issue for you. <laughs> green card, no, no worries at all. What a performance! But sticking, sticking by this movie, pushing this movie. At least everyone else had the good grace to disassociate themselves from it. We've got Tim Roth saying, "Look, I needed the money." My dad. How small must it must Tim Roth's house be? <laughs> Tim Roth said, "I needed the money. My dad would be spinning in his grave if he knew I made this movie about this man." But it had to be done. Uh, the director, whose name escapes me, said, well, look, what I was trying to do was sure a little bit of the Disney propaganda, but I really wanted to get into the corrupt, dirty side of it. Mm. And then I got beaten down by FIFA. Frederick so, Albertine. Yeah, this movie was a mess. At least he, he admits it's nonsense. Gerard Depardieu, sticking by it. Yeah. Tell him Sam Neill. Guys, what, what? You know, Sam Neill. What, what was Sam Neill's role? Oh, uh, he was... Now, have a lunch or something like that. <sighs> see, I, have to, I need to see this. I would, like, I, I would definitely watch this. Mm. I mean... Is it just me? It, like, it, it, I'm not. I must say, I'm not one for hate watching. There are shows on Irish television that people watch and give out about every week and say it's terrible, and then promptly tune in the very next week and will watch. Oh, they enjoy the giving out about it as much as they enjoy yeah, the watching of it. But I don't. I'm not one for that. I mean, I don't believe in wasting time in something that you don't like. Well, you do like. It. So just on that hate watching, people do like it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? You, you don't. You don't. I hate watching almost by definition doesn't exist but sorry Murph I'm, I'm sidetracking here no no you're I'm, saying this is one thing that you will watch I would watch despite it despite knowing I mean, how poor it's going to be I mean I think that it, 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 it has a role of some description even if it's only background filler information for you to have on call in your brain mm-hmm. in a major sporting story this year so I mean I, I, I think it would be remiss of us quite frankly Owen not to watch it I just need to clarify something here you know, Simon messaged me from his little desk mm-hmm. over there from time yeah. to time during the show and uh, I've got to, I'll read this word for word I'm a massive fan of Waterworld get that off your bad movie list it's got sailing in it says it is it's, it's one of the great sailing movies of them all there's uh, Dead Cam A Perfect Storm uh, A Perfect Storm Dead Cam A Perfect Storm uh, Master and Commander Far Side of the World whatever the hell that Russell Crowe movie's called Wind Wind apparently so is it Wind or Wind Wind <laughs> Wind. It is wind. wind. It would that would be a rather cruel practical joke to play on the uh, sailing fraternity, would it? No, it's pronounced wind for the purposes of this movie. You idiots. Uh, yeah, I mean, you could probably do it in top right. ten if you were, you know, really bored. 
The football world is ticking over with the Copa America and the Women's World Cup. We'll get to Tim Vickery in Chile shortly, but I watched England beat Colombia 2-1 last night in at the Women's World Cup in Canada. Very strange. Well, okay, Jonathan Pierce was commentating, right? Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter, women's, men's, under 21, over 35s. When Jonathan Pierce is commentating, Jonathan Pierce becomes the story. So he was he talked a lot about well, actually I was quite interested in a lot of this. He it was in that ridiculous stadium they built for the Montreal Olympics that they yeah. finished paying for about two years ago. And apparently, when the Montreal Expos played in that tournament, they used to, it had a, has a roof on it. So they had to have foul lines along the roof to work out if the ball hit the roof, whether it was a foul or whether it was a home run or whatever, right? This is according to Jonathan Pierce. And they, were, they would hit the roof and bits would just fall out and would never be put back up. Uh, at various times things have fallen on fans it's falling apart but they just can't do anything it's stuck there nobody uses it anymore but anyway the Women's World Cup is has provided at least something for the tournament to, to be used for there he pointed out an incident in the second half which unfortunately the cameras didn't catch and I've just had a quick I'm going to say a sort of perfunctory look for it here mm. it doesn't seem to be on the internet anywhere but apparently the Colombians were going mad I thought with reason uh, because they were getting barged over a lot by the English players. Colombians, really small, really skillful. The English team, much bigger, much stronger. Had a few really skillful players as well, mm. but totally overpowered Colombia. At times, I thought, uh, un- unfairly, as tends to be the case when one team's a decent bit stronger. Anyway, the Colombia manager, players, fans, not happy at all. At one stage, Jonathan Pierce says, oh, this is extraordinary. The Colombian manager is waving a yellow card he wants a yellow card being uh, to be yeah. given to one of the English players and I thought well, yeah it's not, it's not that amazing Jonathan come on it's an imaginary that, card yeah. that you see all the time not imaginary not imaginary not even a normal yellow card it was described as a, a large yellow card <laughs> that the manager had obviously done up before the game or somebody had and started wow. waving at the referee trying to intimidate the referee. No record of this exists. There's barely a mention of it on the internet. Mm. So, and I'm starting to doubt myself, to be honest. I stayed up very late on Tuesday night, watched a lot of sport. Maybe by last night, my brain just wasn't... I was inventing things that Jonathan Pierce was saying, no. but he appeared to be talking about this, which was extraordinary. No, no. You, you wouldn't invent such a thing, would you? I don't think so. In my own brain. There you go. Uh, slightly, like, like an exaggerated version of Alex Ferguson trying to influence the referee with his, he's pointing at his watch. Yeah. This guy well, actually be, has a knobbly yeah. yellow card that he waves. It would be like him uh, wearing a, oh my God, I've forgotten the name of the rapper. Go the on. guy who wears um, uh, the massive big clock around Flavor his Flav. Flavor <sighs> Nothing scre- Nothing screams cool, Murph, than a man... Desperately, a man in his mid thirties, desperately trying to remember the name of a rapper. I know, I know. I thought you were going to What's say that it. guy. Is that fifties? The fifty cent guy? Yeah. Yeah. Well, Flavor Flav is. You know, I mean, he's not exactly. He's cutting edge. I mean, I know him mainly through Flavor of Love, uh, the uh, reality, reality TV, TV show. show that he was in, in which he places a clock over the winning contestant. I'm not sure yeah. how you win. You just, I don't know, you impress the judges. Yeah. Well, you impress. Flavor Flav, you 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 become his his paramour, his his loved one. So I mean, isn't that isn't that a prize enough, even without the giant clock? All right. Well, Tim Vickery is in Chile. We haven't checked in with Tim yet during the Cup of America, so let's do it right now. Tim, six goal thriller a couple of days ago, a loss for Brazil last night. Massive off the field controversy for the home nation. Some tournaments take a little while to get going, but this one seems to have kicked right into gear. No, our cop uh, our cop kind of floweth over, doesn't it? Really, it's 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 wonderful stuff, I and mean, it's uh, it's a really gripping cop America. Um, it, it's highlighting, I think, in in one sense, it's highlighting the strength and depth of South American football. Uh, sides going into this tournament really undercooked, 
uh, and, and looking on paper pretty weak, such as Paraguay and Peru, Bolivia, uh, haven't disgraced themselves at all. You wonder how much of this is down to the strength of the weak or the weakness of the strong. Because uh, if, I can, if I can paraphrase the, uh, the, the much maligned Godfather 3, our true champion has yet to reveal itself. You know, it's almost been defined so far by the limitations and, and the weaknesses of the favourites. In particular, Brazil last night. What happened to them against Colombia? Well, that's what they are. You know, I mean, people looking for for Brazil 1970 are, are, are going to be disappointed, and that that that's what that's what Brazil are. Um, they're a side who are dependent on on what is in this part of the world is called verticality, directness, speed. If you slow them down, and if especially you slow Neymar down, you're, you're halfway there. Uh, and Dave, it, it was, I was in the stadium for, for the game last night. It was, it was a, not, a, not a great spectacle, but it was a gripping, gripping game with one of the great defensive midfield performances, I think, from, from Carlos Sanchez. And four years ago, I was in the stadium in Argentina in the previous Copper when he marked Lionel Messi out of the game. This time, I think he was even better. Uh, and he gave... Colombia the platform to win that game and he transformed Neymar into a petulant heap and uh, gave Colombia that foothold in the game where they won it from a, from a, from a messy set piece. Yeah, the, uh, you talked about Neymar there and how petulant he got. He was red carded after the game for booting the ball at an opponent on the full-time whistle. What, what were the violence levels like of this match compared to the infamous World Cup encounter between the sides? Well, I think a little bit less. So no one went to hospital this time, uh, as far as I'm, 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 <laughs> I'm aware. But uh, it is plain that these two sides, as the old boxing writers used to say, these two sides plain don't like each other. You know, there's some bad blood from from the World Cup. They played a friendly just after the World Cup, and that was, that was quite tasty as well. But from the from the way that the two teams are set up, you knew it was going to be friction. And this is a Colombia side who unusually for a side coached by Jose Peckerman, they don't have a lot of midfield elaboration. Um, the, the, the central midfield too, I think they're badly missing uh, one of their unsung heroes, a guy called Abel Aguilar, who's injured. Uh, and he's the fella, he sits in the central midfield and, and he kind of knits the side together with his passing. They don't really have that. The, the two central midfielders, Sanchez and Edwin Valencia, they're, they're, they're runners and markers. You, you don't really expect too much magic from them. Um, so looking at the way that Columbia was, was set up, you could see what they were, they, they, they were going to do. They were, they were going to attempt to slow Brazil down, slow Neymar down, and then play long up to, to, to their, their, their two strikers. So I think that the, the way that the two sides were set up, it was obviously going to be a game of friction more than, more than a, a game of, of, of flow. Tim, let's get into the really juicy stuff here. And that's Arturo Vidal, the, uh, the hometown hero, scores two goals against Mexico, Hops in his Ferrari, has a few drinks, um, crashes the Ferrari and st- does a tearful apology, stays in the squad. This must be an extraordinary story for the host nation. Oh, isn't it just? I mean, there were the, 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 the Chilean media yesterday had huge live feeds on, on every development that was going on in, in the Arturo Vidal case. Yeah, the, the man of Monday becomes the twit of Tuesday, doesn't it? I mean, it's, it's, it's a symbol, I think, for, for the irresponsibility of, 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 of the modern day footballer. Um, and this really is Chile's moment. I mean, for, for many of the teams here in the Copa America, it's mainly a kind of dress rehearsal for, I, I suppose, what is the real Copa America, which is the World Cup qualifiers, where all the 10 nations play each other home and away. But for Chile, this is their moment. 99 years of the Copa, 43 tournaments, they've never won it. 
you know, that, that trophy cabinet is looking very, very bare indeed. And this, by popular consensus, the best side in their history. Um, this is the moment where the, 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 they want to win some silverware. And Vidal, so far, has been of their big names, the one who's most turned up. Um, the fellow who last year in the World Cup was nowhere near fit. And he he tried to rush back from a knee injury. Really didn't work. So th- this time, he's looking like he's firing on all cylinders. And then, you know, after being the hero of, 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 uh, of Monday's game, you know, to, uh, to, to go for a, a drunken spin in his Ferrari. And when this story first broke, it was, uh, you know, Arturo Vidal's in an accident. All of Chile's alarmed. He's gone off for routine tests. And then the news came in that he was driving drunk. Uh, and, uh, you know, that, that, that ratches the story up so much more. I mean, uh, Chile's coach, Jorge Sampaoli, he was always worried about playing at home. Um, he saw the psychological effects on Brazil last year in the World Cup. He saw that at, at, at close quarters because Chile became, the, you know, they were the width of a crossbar away from eliminating Brazil. And he saw Brazil crying before the game, crying during the game, crying after the game. And he was worried about that hype and the pressure. And he even thought about uh, uh, preparing his team in Spain and bringing them back just on the eve of the competition to get, get them away from the hype. That idea was abandoned in the end. Um, but one problem that he didn't think he'd have at home is his players doing this. And that, that, that's something what Vidal did wouldn't have happened had, uh, had Chile been playing the, this tournament anywhere else. You know, Vidal would have been more controlled. He would have been in the hotel. He wouldn't have had anywhere to go. But uh, you know, because it's at home, let, 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 let him out for, for a little while. But you expect your senior players to behave a little bit better than this. And Sampaoli, um, yesterday when he gave a press conference, uh, you know, he tried to, uh, tried to backpedal and said, you know, well, he's made a mistake. But it's not really a mistake. That's serious enough to, serious enough to kick him out of the squad. It was reminded to him that uh, not too long ago he dropped one of his players for oversleeping, <laughs> and he looked he looked a little bit uncomfortable when this this incongruity was uh, was uh, was was pointed out to him. But it's obviously different circumstances. You can you can drop a player for oversleeping for a friendly, but when it's your big moment, you don't want to lose your uh, your, your your senior player at all. It's amazing. It's, it's ludicrous. You point out in uh, one of the pieces I read that you wrote, Tim, that this is a uh, you know the potential uh, criminal ban for him or criminal punishment is at most a prison sentence you know between 61 and 540 days obviously he can lose his license and this is an ongoing investigation at the moment with all that hanging over his head it seems like okay maybe there's a possibility of going to prison but we're hardly going to kick you out of our football team yeah, I mean, maybe this uh, th- this will be a little bit like the uh, the Paul Gascoigne dentist chair nineteen ninety six incident. So I mean, there was no criminal activity in 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 that case, but it was something which uh, the then England manager Terry Venables used quite skillfully to to rally the troops. Uh, and uh, it, it seems that the, uh, the the Chilean players are rallying behind Vidal. Uh, and uh, and and maybe it'll be it'll be a factor that that that, that bonds them together. An unorthodox uh, team motivations, team motivational strategy, but these are unorthodox times. What about the country? The people have they been taken by his uh, show of remorse, his apology, or are there commentators saying, "Look, this uh, this is madness that this guy should still be in the squad after uh, this particularly serious incident." A little bit on both sides, I think. Although the the thing which is probably tipping it in his balance is that there were no serious injuries. Um, and had there been serious injuries, then uh, there's, there's no way, I think, that, uh, that he could have been allowed to, uh, to, to have continued. And even and Chile's president came out you know, and, and said, uh, 
and said, you know, b- because there were no series. He said, it, well, she said it's not for her to judge whether whether she he should still be in the squad or not. That that's not a decision for her. But you know, she she points out that there were no serious injuries. Uh, and uh, his 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 tearful apology when he recognises that he put the lives of, of other people, especially his wife, at risk. Um, I think that that that's that that's won the majority over. Although uh, you know, he's doing this from, from from as I say, from a position of strength because of of all of Chile's big name players, he's the one who's most turned up so far. Tim, how football mad is Chile? Is it comparable to Brazil, Argentina, Uruguay, those countries? No, not really. Um, it's not quite the same footballing environment, although they're really getting behind the, this tournament. Um, the huge celebration in, a, in a, the main square after Chile won the, the debut game. And even people gathering to celebrate after the, they drew 3-3 with a second-string Mexico um, side. Um, so there, there is... Uh, there, there is fever for the Cop America because, I'm, as I'm saying, this is their big moment to, to win something. You know, you, you, you feel a little bit for, for these players once we get to the knockout stage because the Cop America, it will really, really crank up next week. The group phase, because of the 12 teams, eight go through, the group phase doesn't really have that, that death or glory thing. Um, you know, you can afford to lose a game and still qualify you could afford to be disappointing and, st- and still fight your way through. And last time round, for example, Paraguay, who eventually went all the way to the final without winning a game, you know, they drew all three of their group games and still got through. Had that been a World Cup, they, w- they would have been eliminated. So, you know, the, the group phase is a little bit shadow boxing. And then suddenly it gets very, very serious. Um, the, the, both the quarterfinals and the semifinals, no extra time. So 90 minutes straight to penalty. So the pressure is straight on. So uh, we'll we'll see the real Chile under pressure next week. Just lastly, the first glimpse into maybe what will happen later in the tournament was Argentina against Uruguay. That was uh, the favourites against the defending champions. Argentina, not at their best, but they they scraped through largely on the basis of Sergio Aguero's brilliant diving header. I was watching this one, Tim, and what struck me most was the reaction of the defender. So if people haven't seen it, Aguero, a good cross at the near post, but he starts from a couple of feet behind the defender in a typical Aguero fashion, somehow darts ahead of him, really really brave, really quick, really strong, gets the header in, injures himself and has to come off uh, in the act of scoring. But the reaction of the, def- the defender, I thought was so typical of all defenders who face this guy. He didn't even know he was coming, really. And suddenly Aguero's got in, nicked in and scored a goal. Yeah, I, I think um, Aguero has been the the attacking star of the tournament so far, probably. Um, and it, it was a present that he got for the first goal um, against Paraguay in the first game. But his movement was terrific for that. I mean, at the moment when Samudio of Paraguay played the back pass, he didn't see Aguero. Uh, Aguero moved across diagonally so quickly. And, and so intelligently that he, he turned a, a, a ropey back pass into a suicidal one. Um, you, you, you worry about the injury a little bit. There's no reason for Argentina to risk him in their next game on Saturday against Jamaica. So they won't be in action again until next Friday, next Saturday. So they've, they've got plenty of time to, to get that shoulder correct. Um, Argentina will, would probably be my, my favourites at the moment. Um, they, they, they do look uh, they do look vulnerable defensively. You can certainly get at them um, get at them down the flanks, uh, and as as the coach Gerardo Martino is lamenting, um, they they're, they're struggling to retain their in- intensity for for the full ninety minutes. So you know there there will be points in the game when the opponents can always get at them, but they have an attacking firepower um, where Brazil are very dependent very dependent on Neymar 
big opportunity now for Felipe Calcino of Liverpool because I think his problem in the international team is that he's Neymar's substitute and he's not a left-sided midfielder. He's not a midfielder. He's a, he's, a, he's a support striker. So now, you know, always the absence of one is the opportunity for another to, to step up. So, you know, Felipe Calcino can come in and, and show that Brazil are not just about Neymar. But at the moment, that's what they look like. Uh, and uh, Chile, uh, well, you know, to, to, to concede three against second-string Mexico is worrying. Um, Argentina, although they're defensively won, a, a little bit vulnerable, that combination of attacking talent, you know, Di Maria, uh, Aguero, Messi, uh, and uh, they look fitter and sharper than they were in the World Cup last year. So for the moment, I would make Argentina favourites, I think, of, of all of the teams, which, as I say, in, in, a, in a Copa that's been defined more by the limitations of the favourites than by anything else. I think Argentina are probably the strongest bet at this, at this moment. Tim, brilliant stuff. Thank you. Thank you. The flame hair, flame hair, flame throw of truth, Mr. Ken Early. Every so often I'm on the bus and I suddenly turn around to bite somebody. John Hayes I'm talking about, Alan. Yeah. John Hayes. Now, I always thought that was ridiculous. He had won the victory over himself. He loved Brendan Rogers. That's where it goes from. Thanks a lot, Pepe. Fair to say, anybody could have managed those guys? No, of course not. Let me show you right now for you give it up. Yeah, I don't know. I don't really like these tournaments that... The structure of the tournaments that have... And the Euros are going to have 24 teams. So they're going to have to deal with it. But having 12 teams with eight going through. So you, you end up coming third in a group. And you've got a fair chance of getting into the knockout stage. Why not? I've got a... I know you're, you're looking at me for like something moaning. Come up with a solution here. Okay. How many groups have you got here? You've got uh, three groups. So top two go through. Yeah. Leaves six teams. Forget about the third best two third places. Six teams get into the knockout stages. The top two... Yeah. Straight into the semifinals. Three to six, three, four, five, and six play off against each other in one-off yep. quarterfinals. Essentially, two of those teams get through. They play the two winners. Of yeah, but the then then you're groups. getting two less quality games in your tournament because you'd have you'd have four quarterfinals, two semis, and a semi. But you're saying you only have two quarterfinals, two semis, one final. Correct. So, but it jazzes up the group stage because you get you don't have this situation where you can win one game and possibly go through. Jazzing up group stages now, that's where we're at, are we? <laughs> that's, the, that's the main agenda now, is it? You feel the group stages are unjazzable upable? No, well, I mean, the group stages are the group stages. I mean, I, you know, that they're fine. You know, games are going to matter a little bit in the group stages. The best teams are probably going to get through. What you really want is knockout football. And you're denying the good people of South America two knockout games. I feel strongly about this subject, Murph, but not strongly enough to deny our P-Bez or as a shout-out. That's right, you're a real Irishman. You get the potato I left in your dressing room there? I got the potatoes and the pudding. Huh? And the pudding. Oh, yeah, there you are. Born and bred, yeah, in uh, County Meath, a place called Navin. Uh, another week, another edition of Pierce Brosnan's Emigrant Shoutouts, another pasty-faced Irishman posing in front of another two-bit temple somewhere in the middle of Asia. Uh, this week's walking cliche, <laughs> Roded Cannon. Dear lads, I'm a long-time listener, first-time writer an emigrant to western China. I recently took part in the Mount Paoma mountain race in Kanding on the China-Tibet border. I came with an international team of winners. I won the Irish category and my roommate won the Sri Lankan category. 
Our group also took the Russian, American, Italian, Bulgarian and UK categories, as well as a few other countries that are frankly too hard to spell. Although the overall winner and places 2 to 234 were taken by locals, we nonetheless represented our various countries with dignity. The mountains dotted with different temples, and it was in one such temple that I thought, what would Pierce Brosnan do? Hence the P. Bezo. Now, I haven't checked the records, but at 2,700 metres, is this the highest P. Bezo yet? Best regards, Ronan Cannon. Well, uh, we had a P. Bezo from the top of Mount Kilimanjaro last year, so nice try, Bozo. Uh, but you're literally half as high as the owner of the title that you're trying to grab for yourself there, so um, yeah. afraid not. 5,895 uh, metres high. Uh, Kilimanjaro so um, eat on that run but he did he did have a, a PS there was a brief period about the time of last year's All-Ireland Hurling Final where second captains was blocked in China I don't know who you paid off but it's working and in future tell Ken to keep his opinions about the party to himself as some of us have rather limited options <laughs> when it comes to Irish sports news that is duly noted uh, Ronan I will instruct our flame-haired flamethrower of truth to be more circumspect in, uh, in future. All right, Radamel Falcao is in action at the moment in the Copa America for Colombia. We mentioned their win against Brazil earlier on the show. John Bruin saw more of Falcao on the pitch last season than most, so should be well-placed to talk about this move to Chelsea that's going on at the moment, John. He's been roundly hammered for his level of performance last year. Was Falcao really as bad at Manchester United as people have made out? Um, yes, would be the answer. Um, it was. It actually became uh, almost like a pathetic sight. It became. Uh, he had the sympathy of many. I mean, I've spoken to a few uh, ex-players, people you know involved in coaching and so on, and uh, there seems to be a lot of sympathy for him because they think that he uh, was lacking the sharpness, probably unfit. Um, they think his movement and his ideas are probably still there, but. I, but Physically, he wasn't there. I think of a couple of games that I, that I could pinpoint. Uh, there was a game at QPR where uh, there's one incident where I remember the ball breaking at the halfway line. Now, Falcao was pretty th- through on goal. Uh, the player that you probably remember from Porto, Atletico Madrid, would have cruised to beyond into the 18-yard box and scored from there. Um, he ran it into a corner had a shot blocked, and I couldn't help but notice how long it took him to run back to the halfway line after that. Mm. And I suppose his final home game for Manchester United, um, I think he was given a start ahead of Robin van Persie, and to be honest, he did absolutely nothing in the game, and uh, was substituted off, I think, after about 60 minutes. And he left the field with a very apologetic wave. Now, Manchester United fans got behind him, applauded him, you know, thanked him for the efforts because I don't think there was a lack of effort on Falcao's part. I just think that he's short of the player that he was three, four years ago. So that sounds very much like a physical problem, uh, definitely not in terms of application or even tactically. Did he look like he just didn't fit in, that Van Gaal couldn't find a role for him or simply just that physically this guy's on the way and might continue to be so? Well, there, there is a school of thought that he plays better in a partnership, which um, isn't really the way that Louis van Gaal ended up ending, uh, putting his team together towards the end of the season. He played a 4-3-3. Now, the first game that I saw Falcao play in was the, the famous 5-3 Leicester game. And in the opening 20, 25 minutes, uh, van Persie and Falcao looked an absolute striking match made in heaven. You know, reading each other's runs, um, uh, you know, 
resupplying each other chances. I think uh, Van Persie actually scored from a, a, a Falcao cross. Um, I think of a goal actually at Boxing Day. I think it was where uh, he set up a, a goal for um, Wayne Rooney by uh, sort of crossing it from the right hand side and volleying across. Obviously, a player set up for a partnership. As a as a player who uh, is a, a lone front man, he seemed unsuited to playing in the Van Hal system. Now we talk about lone frontman, uh, that's the formation that Chelsea play as well. The, the everything every the way you describe him there sounds very similar to me to Fernando Torres, the Fernando Torres who went to Chelsea and the Chelsea hierarchy at the time obviously thought that they could turn his slide around. Have you any confidence that as a player, just for for footballing reasons, this could be a good signing by Jose Mourinho? Well, I think I think one of the things is that Mourinho would back himself to turn the player into uh, the the player that people recognise from Atletico. I mean, he's actually gone on record and said that. Uh, he gave an interview to Direct TV uh, early this month and said that he felt great sympathy for Falcao and that he would really like to show the people in England what kind of player he can be, which uh, seemed incredibly philanthropic from him. Um, Listen, the one thing about Chelsea is that he's not going to be the main man. That man will be, the main man will be Diego Costa. Although uh, there were rumours last month, I think, that he wasn't too happy with life in England. But uh, Costa, you would have said, is likely to stay since no one could probably afford to buy him. Um, Costa will be the main man. Falcao is the guy dropping in. So I suppose the role that you're looking at is something akin to the one Didier Drogba played last season. Now, Didier Drogba was well short of the player who for Chelsea sort of four or five years ago was one of the best players in Europe um, and may well be one of Chelsea's greatest ever players um, Falcao has got to replicate that Drogba I think actually played quite a big part in Chelsea's running at the end of the season um, and maybe the pressure's a little off Falcao because Costa's the main man he's not expected to be the guy that's going to score the goals um, which actually, if you think about it, he wasn't at Man United after the early weeks of the season. I think the problem is, I mean, I was looking, watching a bit of him play for Colombia last night against Brazil. Um, two shots in particular in fairly open space were just drilled into the stand. Like, it was like a guy that had lost technique and confidence. Um, he was in the position to be in the, to, to, to take the chance, I suppose. But his application, his physical ability to do it did seem as though it was a uh, totally lacking. It hasn't escaped people's attention, John, that this is a man uh, who is one of uh, Jorge, George Mendes's uh, players. Uh, he represents him. Diego Torres's book. Ken was tweeting passages from this last night uh, of uh, details, a very cosy relationship between Mendes and Jose Mourinho. I guess football fans really don't want to think about this side of things. Really, we wouldn't like to think that a player is being signed on the basis of being controlled by a certain agent would you would you think that we would be naive not to think that that's a factor it's got to be a factor hasn't it i mean uh when Mourinho came out and said he wanted to help this player along um there can be no coincidence that that player is represented by the same person that he is um i mean one of the reasons why he signed for manchester united i mean i think we discussed it at the time on second captains was that uh, it looked like a good deal for United in that they could get into the George Mendes camp and maybe 
get to enjoy some of Mendes's crop of players. Now, that hasn't actually worked out too well for United because one of them is another of those players is Angel Di Maria. He also represents David De Gea, who is almost certain to leave the club this summer. Um, it's one of those things that, and it certainly caused this problem when he was at Real Madrid, if, if an agent and a manager have a link, that can be problematic at a club. I mean, there are English managers uh, against whom such accusations are made. Um, and it's an interesting one, considering the control, the absolute control, that you would say Roman Abramovich has over the club. Um, I mean, Mourinho spoke about why he would be interested in Falcao and how likely it was. And I think he said that, oh, well, all I do is give a list to the people that deal with the transfers. And if they like it, then they go through the deal. But you would wonder how that discussion took place. Yeah, we should say that Mourinho says this book is rubbish. You know, it's all lies. It's, it's just whatever. He gave it fairly short shrift. And I don't think it's necessarily come back to it. I think he just wants this book forgotten about. Forgotten about. But it's rare enough you get a journalist in the know at a club giving the kind of stuff that he gave that Diego Torres gave about Jose Mourinho. It's a funny one to square with Mourinho. You mentioned about Abramovich being totally in control there, and that was one of the problems seemingly with the relationship in the first place, that Jose was having to uh, deal with players who he didn't really necessarily want to sign for footballing reasons. If he's signing players on the basis of them sharing the same agent, is he shooting himself in the foot a little bit in a footballing sense? Well, he may end up doing so, yeah. I mean, if Falcao turns out to be a flop, then... If it's his, been his decision, then those in charge, I mean, the director of football is Mal- Michael Emanalo and the lady that does the contracts actually for Abramovich and uh, is the bridge between him and the footballing side is a lady called Marina Grambuskaya, I think her name is. Um, you could say that in doing something like this or pushing through this deal or helping push through this deal, let's put it that way, uh, Mourinho could be endangering his relationship with Abramovich, which... I'm led to believe when he first came back to the club was still a little testy. They're still uncomfortable around each other after what happened before. Um, of course they are. Did it, nobody really fully bought that they were going to be the greatest of friends and nor will it remain cosy. I wouldn't have thought this is going to blow up at some stage between Abramovich and Jose Mourinho in the second spell. Well, absolutely. I mean, who, who are the people involved? One, it's Roman Abramovich who has... I mean, what was the figure that we, at one point, I think his his payout to managers was bigger than Manchester United's net spend over a certain period or something like that. And then Jose Mourinho, who uh, I was just flicking through some stuff, doing some research, and he very rarely gets to the third season as a manager at a club. I mean, this could be the season. This could be the season. Um I mean, Mourinho's talks of building a dynasty, building an empire, Chelsea's his club. Now, of course, you know, he's a, a guy in his 50s. He may well choose to choose to settle down from, from this point on. But previous records, previous uh, incidents at the various clubs suggest that might not be the case. Um, and it's something to look for, that, that type of relationship. This, this, The Falcao deal, to me, is a red flag. I mean, the player might prove us all wrong. He might rediscover himself. Um, the talent's certainly there, as I've said. But, yeah, a red flag for me, certainly. John, brilliant as ever. Thanks a million. Cheers.
Going back to Falcao's performances at Old Trafford, the fact that Manchester United fans were sympathetically applauding him mm. is a lot more damning than if they were mercilessly booing him for a lack of effort. This means this is the level that he gave his all to Manchester, the Manchester United cause. Yeah. And I think that's that's actually why uh, United fans in particular are shocked out of their minds by this uh, move because there, there, it wasn't an attitude problem. I mean, I think everyone has seen players not really trying a yard or trying a yard in the three months before their contract is up or something like that. Like, Radamel Falcao was running around very energetically to absolutely no end product whatsoever. Mm. And that's and that's really what's, uh, what's uh, so daft. It does sound so like Torres also, that the only thing leading you to believe that, that Falcao is going to be an amazing player at Chelsea is his past reputation. But he's had his injuries... And he's had his dip in form. And for Torres, it turned out to be a, a terminal dip, really. But Murphy, we've already released a podcast today. Can you mm. tell our nice listeners what's in it? Uh, well, quite frankly, what isn't in it? Uh, we have Lawrence... Do- well, actually, two Mill Valley uh, residents, mm-hmm. uh, Lawrence Donegan and Brian Murphy, neighbours in uh, the Bay Area in California. Lawrence talking about the US Open. Mm-hmm. Um, due to start today on some sort of crazy golf uh, course, which we're looking forward to watching over the next four days. Um, Ricky Fowler's his tip just uh, for the betters out there uh, US Murph talks to us about his beloved Golden State Warriors our beloved Golden State Warriors champions NBA champs and also Owen Kelly third highest uh, scorer in hurling championship history is in studio to preview tip against Limerick and uh, Kilkenny against, uh, against Wexford Nicely Tito but you made the fatal mistake there when promoting any event what? you gave the people what they want before it even happened uh, Lars Donegan's tip yeah well come on people I mean, work for your... I mean, he's, he's earned you hundreds of euro. You, the least you could do is listen to his preview. We've got our big tournament on Sunday ourselves. Murph Second Captains FC takes part in the Fair Play Football Cup organised for World Refugee Day by the UNHCR and Sport Against Racism Ireland. Some shocking team news this week. Oshin McConville is out through work commitments, but Shane Kern is in and a good goalkeeper goes a long way in a 7 side. Is he... Shane Kern strikes me as the kind of man who might not be too happy to be hampered by being placed in goals, though. You know, we've all met... We've, every goalkeeper thinks they're an outfield player. Shane Kern has played outfield, mm. certainly in Gaelic football. So can we chain him to the confines of the... I don't, I don't think it's fair. I don't, I don't think it's fair. On, I think he will, he will want to bust free of those chains. Mm. And uh, he will. I mean, I don't... Sweeper-keeper? You sweeper-keeper, quite possibly. Or just change the jersey, just get him up there, you know? Um, but I don't think that our listeners... Uh, can truly grasp how this has fired our imaginations over the last three or four weeks, this football tournament. The excitement on little Richie Sadler's face when he heard that this game, that that he he had been ushered into the inner circle, that he is now a part of the second captain's team. I mean, I just, uh, I I mean, if if only we had pictorial evidence of it. I mean, it, it, it it would show an extremely emotional man, a man given a second chance, you know, that's what this is all about, giving Richie Sadler a second chance for some silverware. 
doesn't do any harm that he's a professional footballer. Well, Shane Kern, is Shane Kern the Irishman most likely to try to execute a scorpion kick during a charity football tournament? Uh, I think we all know the answer to that one. <laughs> frankly, Whether it'll be successful or not. Frankly, I'd be disappointed. If he tells us all, we can get someone to stand directly behind him in case the scorpion kick ends in injury and, you know, yeah. a concession of a goal, then maybe that might be best. If that tournament goes well on Sunday, you'll hear all about it on Monday. If not, this is... <laughs> <laughs> Forget it ever happened. Did, the tournament did not go on. All right, listen, that's great. Thanks very much for listening to today's podcast too, but listen to Owen Kelly and to the rest of that show that we've already put out there. Thanks very much, Murph. Thank you, Owen. You can have a look at irishtimes.com forward slash secondcaptains uh, or secondcaptains.com for any details on the shows. Thanks so many for listening again. Take care. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.